Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture tonight. We appreciate Jordan and all of our young men. The great job they do from week to week reading our scripture and taking part in, in our worship service. We are looking tonight at John chapter 8, and I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8 as we think about what Jesus said, particularly as it relates to spiritual freedom. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 8, and we will focus on several verses in this, in this great chapter. Before I begin, I do want to encourage you if, you, if you are a member of the church here, please don't forget God during the summertime. I know that a lot of folks get busy going and coming, and they get involved in a lot of things. We get busy, and sometimes it's, sometimes, sadly, it's the case that we leave the Lord out of our out of our daily lives, and we don't want to do that. So we want to encourage all of us to stay strong spiritually in the summer months. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We're so grateful for your presence. We're very thankful for the number of visitors that come our way each and every week. We hope and pray that if you are here tonight and you're looking for a church home, that you, that you would consider the church here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our work. Tonight, I want us to think for a minute or two about freedom and the freedom that only Jesus can give. In chapter 8 of the Gospel according to John, we have one of the biographical accounts of the life, the ministry of Jesus. And in chapter 8, we have the Lord Jesus making what we call some of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. In verse 12, he would say, I am the light of the world. He that follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In this same chapter, he would speak of his self-existent, pre-existent state. When he said, before Abraham was, I am. And so in John chapter 8, in verse 12, after acknowledging that he was the light of the world, the Pharisees, and you well know that the Pharisees were typically on the heels of Jesus from time to time. They were adversarial toward Jesus. And so in verse 13, they said, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And Jesus then said, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I come, where I come from, I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. In verse 15, he said, You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Down in verse 18, he said, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And they said to him, where's your Father? Jesus, back in John chapter 5, in about verse 37, the Lord would say, the very works that I do bear witness of me, or testify of me, that the Father has sent me. In other words, the signs, the miracles that Jesus performed, they gave credibility to His acknowledgement that He was indeed the Son of God. Well, they didn't believe that Jesus came forth from God. And so in verse 19, they wanted to know, where's your Father? And Jesus said, you neither know me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And then in verse 21, Jesus would say, I'm going away and you will seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. In verse 23, Jesus would say, you are from beneath, I'm from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, 
that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And then dropping down to verse 28, Jesus would talk about His ultimate crucifixion. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, or that I am that eternal self-existent One, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who has sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. I always do those things that please Him. And that's a wonderful verse, isn't it? Jesus would say about His relationship with the Father, I always do those things that please Him. And that ought to be our goal in life, to live in such a way so that we please the Father and please the Lord in our actions, in our, in our words, our deeds, etc. And so in verse 30, the Bible says, He spoke these things, as He spoke these things, many believed in Him. Jesus then would say to the Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered Him and said, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, We will be free? Well, it's true, they were descendants of Abraham. But the history of the Israelite people had been one of bondage, hadn't it, in days gone by? And whether they realized it or not, they were in spiritual bondage, which is a far greater type of bondage. And what Jesus is going to say is, look, there is only one person who can liberate you from the bondage of sin. And whether you realize it or not, I am the one. They had this idea that because they were descendants of Abraham, that they were on the ground floor, everything was okay. Abraham was identified by James as the friend of God. Abraham was the father of the Hebrew nation. He was a great man, a great man of faith. But Abraham was called for a specific purpose, and that purpose was he would be the father of the Hebrew nation. The Hebrew nation would be the very people through whom the Messiah, the Christ, would come. And Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that the prophets of God had said concerning this Redeemer. As a matter of fact, you remember God when He called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 would say, In you, in your seed, shall all families of the earth be blessed. The primary fulfillment of that promise was realized in Jesus. Because Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3 that if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise made at that point in time 2,000 years earlier. The promise that through his seed, through his lineage, all families of the earth would be blessed. And so they want to know, well, they, they say we're Abraham's descendants and, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus then said, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave or a bondservant of sin. I want to, I want to begin tonight by talking for a minute or two about those who really are enslaved in the bondage of sin. Because Jesus is talking about an individual or people who are bondservants. They are slaves. They are servants to a life of sin. Now I would grant that there are a lot of people in the world today that don't understand this. The Jews didn't understand it. And the Jews, they... They were the chosen nation of Israel. They had all of the promises and blessings resting upon them. 
They would, as I said a moment ago, be the channel through whom the Christ would come. But when you think about the danger of being enslaved to the bondage of sin, I want to begin by thinking with you for just a moment or two about the power of sin. And I think Jesus lends some insight into the power of sin when He talks about those who are the bondservants or the slaves of sin. Have you ever thought about how seductive sin can be? How the devil has the ability to make sin so attractive and so appealing. Some of you like to fish. I know that there are a lot of folks that enjoy fishing. I have had the opportunity from time to time to fish, but I'm not a fisherman per se. But I know people that are excellent on the water. They know what they're doing and they understand something about bait. They know something about the type of rod and reel that's needed in a particular type of water, a body of water. They understand the mechanics of fishing. And they know that you bait that hook, you take that line and you throw it out into the water, and that bait hits the water. Sometimes that bait, that lure will skim across the water, and what happens? A fish sees that bait, that lure. Before you know it, he jumps on it, doesn't he? Isn't that the way the devil operates? Isn't the devil the master when it comes to seducing people? Didn't James say something about how lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin? Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death? The devil knows that there are certain types of bait that he can use to entice and ultimately to enslave people. And he is very good at his craft. The devil the devil is a master when it comes to baiting people. And there are a lot of people that have been, sadly, they have been deceived by the work of the devil. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how we're not ignorant of the devices of Satan. And he said the reason is lest he take advantage of us. We've got to know how the devil operates. And Jesus is talking about, talking about the bondage of sin. And there are a lot of folks that get enticed by temptation, by the devil, and ultimately they become enslaved to a way of life. And you look at the devil and you think about the devil, is out here, he's out here and he's saying, all right, is it fame that attracts you? Is it, is it finances? Is, is that what you're about, making money? Building an arsenal of material goods? I mean, is that what, is that what you want? Is it about power? I mean, you want power? Those things can be intoxicating and they can be overwhelming. And the devil makes, he has the ability to make things look so good, doesn't he? I mean, you think about in the Garden of Eden, when God had said to the first couple, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, the day you eat thereof, what's going to happen? You're going to die. And then, here comes the serpent. And he begins questioning Mother Eve. And the Bible tells us that she saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes, that had the ability to make one wise. And what'd she do? Took the bait. 
The devil's good. And so I think about how sin can be so seductive, but then sin, ultimately, when it's all said and done, as Jesus said, it leads to slavery, doesn't it? I mean, that's what he's saying. Listen again to what he says in verse 34. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today they will tell you right up front, you know what, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to have the ability to say, I'm going to do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll go here, I'll go there. I'm in control. And the devil wants people to think they're in control, doesn't he? I mean, do you think that the devil wants you to realize, do you think he wants people in the human family to realize that, when it's all said and done, they're really in bondage to sin? Absolutely not. But that's what happens. In 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 19, Peter talks about those who are overcome by sin. And he said, in effect, they, are, they become in bondage to that way of life. Well, why is that? Because sin has the ability to make people slaves. Now, I know that most people in our world today that are outside of Christ, they do not view themselves as a slave per se. But that's what Jesus said. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy in the long ago and Paul was dealing with a number of problems. He talked about in chapter 2 about how Timothy needed to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he talked about men like Hymenaeus and Alexander who were teaching, or rather Hymenaeus and Philetus, who were teaching that the resurrection was already past. And he said, they're overthrowing the faith of some. And so down in verses 24 through 26, Paul talks to Timothy in a very candid way about trying to reclaim those who fall prey to the devil. But in verse 26, he said, they are taken captive by the devil. You know what he's saying? They have become a prisoner of the devil. They're a slave. They are living in a form of servitude. That's what sin does to people. And so you think about the power of sin. Does sin have the ability to captivate our thoughts? Does it have the ability to somehow entice us Sure it does. But when it's all said and done, you know what it does? It makes slaves out of people. It's all it does. Now, I think about the warning signs here. I mean, Jesus is talking to the Jews of His day. And Jesus, in a very candid way, is talking to these people about the problem associated with with sin, the power of sin. But what we have to understand is there is also a penalty for sin. Well, what about the penalty? Did you know that there are consequences to sin here on earth? You know, there are a lot of people in our world today, they are, they are living proof, as we say, to what sin can do in the life of a of a human being. 
There are people in our world today, their lives are so messed up. And they are so enslaved and so ingrained in a life of sin. They're paying some heavy burdens. This morning in our lesson, we cited Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15. When Solomon and Belongago said, The way of the transgressor is hard. What are you saying, Solomon? Solomon is saying, look, when you choose to live a life that is foreign to the will of God and to the Word of God, you're going to pay, some heavy, you're going to have, you're going to pay a heavy price in this life. I think about people who are dealing with the consequences of sin every day, emotionally. Is it not the case that that sin creates emotional heartache, emotional stress, emotional burdens in the lives of people? Yes. What was it Isaiah said many, many years ago? He said, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There are a lot of people in our world tonight, they would love to have some type, some form of peace and contentment in their life, but they don't have that. Why? Because they made some poor decisions earlier in life. And they are dealing with, as we would say sometimes, the baggage of sin. And let me tell you what, sometimes there is a lot of baggage that comes with sin. There are emotional consequences. Let me also say there are physical consequences. Jesus is talking to the Jews of His day. Thankfully, some people believed in what He had to say and they became disciples of His. But there were a lot of folks that were antagonistic to His teaching. They were antagonistic to who He claimed to be. And they never submitted their lives to Him. But sin will take... Sin, as I said a moment ago, takes people captive. And the consequences are incredible, emotionally, physically. I was reading an article today about an individual that 30 years ago was on top of the world in NASCAR. I mean, this guy was the bright star of his day. His name was Tim Richmond. Some of you might remember him. He won 13 races. He was a very charismatic driver. And he was the kind of guy that, that lived life in a very large way. He was enthralled with success, with fame, with Hollywood. As a matter of fact, I read he wanted to be an actor. But this guy, he was at the top. But what people didn't know because of the fame and the fortune, a lot, of doors had, a lot of doors opened, a lot of enticements. And the story had a very sad ending. This man, because sin is so seductive, and because the devil is so good at what it does. This man lived life in a very large way. 
engaged in any number of sexual relationships outside the bond of marriage. And so what happened, he contacted AIDS. And when he initially contacted the disease, he began having physical problems. And people were wondering, what's going on? Why isn't he driving? I mean, this guy's at the top of his game. Something is not right. And they talked about he had pneumonia, double pneumonia, this and that. And then finally it came out. And he admitted, listen, through the endless array of one-night stands, he got AIDS. 34 years of age. Left this world. Why? Because of sin. Because sin is a terrible taskmaster. The consequences, emotional, physical, and yes, spiritual. There are spiritual implications, aren't there? I mean, we talk about the consequences of sin on earth, and they're great. And, and it may be the case that you know some people as we speak who are dealing with the consequences of sin. Have you ever seen somebody that has an addiction? You know anybody that has an addiction to meth or heroin? That is an evil drug. It'll destroy your life. It is destroying the lives of many people in our country tonight, young and old alike. A couple of years ago, I was called by a family. Known this family for a long time. They had a 29-year-old son. Had been in and out of rehab. Battled heroin. And by the way, this young man had been baptized in his teenage years. Member of the church. Just because we're in the church doesn't mean that the devil can't sell us a bill of goods that's false to the core. Doesn't mean that we can't be taken captive by the devil. 29 years of age, I was called by his family members and they wanted to know, would you conduct his memorial service? The evening that I conducted his service, it was in January, they were cremating his remains and so there would be no burial. And I remember standing in the foyer of the funeral home. And we're getting ready to start the service and two of the funeral directors are standing with me talking. And they said, you know, we had a funeral earlier today for another young man, 29 years of age, died of a heroin overdose. That's what, that's what drugs do to people. They enslave and they kill. They enslave and they kill. And that's what the devil does. So I had the task of conducting this man's service. And I think now about his family. 
his mom, his dad, his two sisters. They were grief-stricken. You think the devil cared? You think the devil lost in his sleep over the death of those two young men? The devil doesn't care about you. The devil doesn't care about any of us. The Bible tells us the devil is not our ally. He is our adversary. And Peter said, you be sober, you be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Peter was writing to Christians, wasn't he? The danger of the devil. So I think about how people have been hurt and people have been destroyed by sin. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, look, you may think you're free, but let me tell you what, you're not free. You are a slave of sin. There are consequences to sin here upon earth, and there are consequences to sin eternally. What was it Paul said, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin, listen to him, is death, eternal separation from God. The flip side of that is in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul would say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. When we're in Christ and we're living for Him day in, day out, when we are, as Jesus said, following His Word, we are, we are free from condemnation, free from the penalty of sin. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. We talked about, we've talked about those who are enslaved to the bondage of sin. How then do we escape the bondage of sin? Listen to Jesus in verse 36. Well, back up and look at verse 31. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse 36, Jesus said, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Freedom. Could I ask tonight, what is the source of our freedom? Who is the source of our freedom? Ultimately, there was an architect behind the freedom that we enjoy tonight. The architect of that freedom was God the Father. You see, before God ever laid the foundations of the earth, in His infinite wisdom, He had a plan already in place so that when mankind, the crown of His creation, would succumb to temptation thereby bringing sin into the world, God could immediately implement that plan. That's why John wrote in Revelation chapter 13 about the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about how we've been redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ as of a Lamb without spot and without blemish. And he said, who verily was foreordained before the world began, but was manifest in these last times for you. So God was and is the grand architect of our freedom. Jesus, however, 
was the agent by which we enjoy freedom. The source of freedom. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. Jesus came so that we might enjoy freedom. Listen to what He said, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Does Jesus have the ability to give us freedom? Freedom from the bondage of sin, from the slavery of sin. The answer is yes. Can we be freed from the emotional scars and baggage of sin? Yes. Can we be free to some extent to the physical overtures of sin? Yes, to some degree. But most importantly, we can be freed from the eternal consequences of sin, can't we? Now, I want you to think with me for a minute about the sacrifice for our freedom. Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If you go back and you look at, the, at a passage that we read a moment ago, in verse 28, Jesus said, when you lift up the Son, then you will know that I am. That I am the eternal, self-existent One. You remember He would say over in chapter 12, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. What about the sacrifice for our freedom? Aren't you glad to live in America? Are you thankful to be American? To be an American? There is no other place on planet earth that I would, than I would, that I would rather live than right here in the United States. Agreed? Man, we are blessed. We have no idea how blessed we are in this country. Our nation is a great nation. And we enjoy freedom because there have been a lot of folks in days gone by that have paid the ultimate sacrifice to liberate this country from tyranny. There has been a lot, there has been a lot of blood there have been a lot of tears shed for the freedom that we enjoy. I try to thank God for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. I'm grateful for the freedom of speech. Aren't you grateful that we have the freedom of speech and that we don't have to worry about somebody trying to muzzle us? Now I understand that we're probably quickly losing some of that. But the freedom of speech, the freedom of press, the freedom of religion, to think that we can come together as a body of believers and worship God and serve God and that we can do so without having to worry about outside forces like the Christians did in the first century when it came to the Romans. We're blessed to enjoy freedom. Years ago when I was, hadn't really been preaching that long, hadn't been out of school that long, I used to have the opportunity to teach a Bible class in a place that we called the Towers. And it was a, a huge building. The people that lived there were retired by and large. So after class, we would typically go up and down up and down the building, up and down the elevator, visiting people. We used to go to this one 
sweet lady's home. And we would go in, sit down, and visit with her. And here's what struck me. Over her sofa was a picture of her son in his military attire. And beneath that picture was a purple heart, his purple heart. He had been killed in World War II, lost at sea, I believe. Years later, years and years later, that lady still had his picture over her sofa, a solemn reminder of the son that she loved, but also a reminder of the freedom that we enjoy because of people like that. Another fellow that was very close to our family lost a son in Vietnam. And I remember visiting with him in his house. And in his den or living room, he had a picture of his son. And he said, you know, I don't think of my son as a 50-year-old man, and that's been 20 years ago at least. He said, I still think of him as a boy, because when he died, he was just a boy in many respects. Now, could I ask you, when we talk about the freedom that we enjoy in this country, Had you lost a son or daughter for the freedom that we enjoy, would you say that freedom was cheap or expensive? If it were my child, expensive. Those of us who are parents, we know something about unconditional love, don't we? And we talk about the sacrifice for our freedom and the great expense that it costs God. Could I ask you a question tonight? As a parent, would you give the life of your child for another person in this auditorium tonight? Is there anybody worthy of the death of your child? Let me just be upfront with you. There is no one worthy of the death of my child. No one. Now, if you were to ask me, would you give your life for the life of your son? Just like that. Just like that. I would die for my child in a heartbeat. But I am not going to let my child die for the life of another person. But God did. The Bible says, God spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. That ought to tug at us. To know that God thought enough of us as human beings to give His only begotten Son so that we might live. And you know, I, when I think about the human family, 
And as I contemplate some of the characters that have come and gone in the history of our world, there have been some pretty rotten, despicable, ungodly people, haven't there? I mean, aren't there some people that just raise the hair on the back of your head when you think about their name because of some of their atrocities, some of the things that they've done? And yet here's what Paul said, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. God gave His very best for the very worst. What does that say about divine love? the love God has for us. And then what about Jesus? We said God's the architect, Jesus is the agent that has accomplished salvation, that has brought freedom to the human family. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus went to the cross, suffered, bled, and died for me for you, for the world. As Paul said, speaking of Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. And let me tell you what, the Apostle Paul was a terrorist in his day, was he not? And yet the Lord, the Lord forgave him. Paul would write to Timothy and say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul recognized he needed the Savior. So when we step back and think about the sacrifice for the freedom that we enjoy, it came at a great expense or cost. Didn't Jesus say, you have heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He were rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be rich? Jesus, as the Hebrew writer said in chapter 2, verse 9, tasted death for every man. The Lord Jesus willingly paid the price for our sins. I want to close this point by talking for just a moment or two about the scope of our freedom. And I want to really sum it up by saying that Jesus... And Jesus alone has the power to free you, to free us collectively from the bondage of sin. Not only does Jesus have the ability to free us from the bondage of sin, but He has the ability to free us from the burden of sin. And don't tell me sin's not a burden, because it is. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, they're carrying around a lot of baggage in life. And they're trying to deal with that baggage on their terms and in their way. The world cannot free you, cannot free us from the burden of sin, nor can it free us from the bondage of sin. Only Jesus can do that. And Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, then you're free. You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 when He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. What did He promise? 
Didn't he promise rest? Can't we have the rest, the only kind of rest? Or rather, can we not enjoy the rest that only Jesus can provide? Rest from the burden of sin? Rest, rest from the bondage of sin? The answer is yes. Jesus said in this great passage of Scripture, truth has the ability to set you free. Well, how so? Paul said that God's desire is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. When we comply with the conditions that have been set forth in Scripture concerning terms of pardon, then you know what we enjoy? Freedom. Free. Free from the bondage of sin, free from the burden of sin, and then to live in hope of life eternal. If you're here tonight and you're not free, and your life has been, your life has been that of bondage, why not leave here tonight free, free at last? What would you need to do? Well, be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would come to Him, turn from a life of sin, confess His name before others, be immersed in water, then God, God will forgive your sins. He'll put you in the church. And if, you be, and if you'll live faithfully until death, the promise is that crown of life that James talks about, that Jesus talks about. If you're here tonight, maybe you've gone back into the world, you're back in a life of bondage, our encouragement to you, come home. Don't live in sin. Look, you're better than that. Sin is beneath you. As Paul said in the long ago, come ye out from among them and be separate. Why not come home tonight as we stand and sing?